Welcome to the Documentary Photography Review Podcast with me, Chris King, and co-presenter Rebecca Enderby. In this episode, there's a break from tradition, and instead of interviewing a photographer who has documented a story local to them, we are instead discussing the use of participatory photography techniques with Ingrid Guillon, photographer and founding director of Photosynthesis, a non-profit organisation that uses participatory photography to develop skills, give a voice to people, and encourage community cohesion. Now, not everyone may have come across participatory techniques within a photographic context, but at a time when images can be taken, uploaded to the internet, and distributed far and wide within minutes, if not seconds, they represent an effective means by which documentary photographers can ensure people are represented in a way they feel comfortable with. By affording those people being documented some degree of influence over how they are represented. The various approaches, the benefits and drawbacks of implementing a participatory project are discussed in more detail during the interview. Show notes with links to Ingrid's work as a photographer, as well as to photosynthesis, and to any other organisation, initiative or individual mentioned during the interview can be found at documentaryphotoreview.com forward slash podcasts and navigate to Ingrid's podcast page. Articles on participatory photographic techniques will be published on the Documentary Photography Review website over the coming days and weeks. So do check in now and again, and you can of course always follow DPR on Twitter at twitter.com forward slash docphotoreview, or like the DPR page on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash documentaryphotographyreview. Now, here's our interview with Ingrid Guillaume. Enjoy. So, first of all, uh, can you just tell us a little bit about yourself and photosynthesis as well? Well, I'm Ingrid. Um, I've been a photographer for 10 years and I was actually born in the city where photography was invented in France. Well, some people say photography was invented in the UK, but you know, there's two different versions. Yeah. I'll take the French one. And then I moved to a town where there's a big photography festival. But I started to be a photographer and study photography once I moved in London. So it's a bit funny how the circle is going. And um, I've created photosynthesis in 2009 for many reasons. Uh, I, I was um, working a lot with community groups. My sister is a professional photographer, so I was working a lot with her as well in the Dominican Republic. And I was interested in documentary photography and being an anthropologist until I went to study anthropology. And I discovered that I hated it. (laughs) And that I was interested in knowing what the people that were being studied had to say instead of me saying it for them. So I've never read any of the books that they gave me at uni. I just, I just couldn't. And then, uh, then my dad said that he would pay me an MA. And actually, I said, "What well, is best if I just go travelling for you and do it myself and talk to people and instead of just reading books?" And uh, so, I, that's why I, that's when I went into participatory photography. It kind of, you know, switched my whole practice. And I did some research and discovered Photo Voice, which kind of blew my mind. And then started to work for them. Right. And and then um, photosynthesis came about. Mm-hmm. And so you, you promote uh, participatory photography to try and give people a voice rather yeah. than you kind of 
representing people and, yeah. and kind of tailoring things based on yeah I'm interested to know what yeah what they have to say and what solutions they th uh, most of the time the governments say this these are the solutions for these communities but actually it's not mm -hmm. and they don't even consult them at all so I'm, I'm always interested to see what people have to say for themselves and get rid of all the labels and stereotypes that you see every day and um, I was just going to say perhaps you can explain what participatory photography like is and means to you okay um, for people that are listening that don't know I just did that today actually so how did I explain this that um, well a good definition is that it's a methodology that gives people a voice that gives the tool to people so they can express themselves but it could also be that you work together with the people in the project and I think what's important for me in participatory photography is that the people that I represented have the final say in the edit and in the messages and they're happy with the way picture is or they're portrayed or what the, what message is going on I think mm -hmm. which is not always easy no well it takes it it just takes longer to do a project because you always have to go back and you know and do lots of consultations which is you know it's part of my practice I hate I you know I've been a photojournalist for a while and I just hated it really because you felt that there was no, like, why did you hate photojournalism? Because you were the one taking the pictures and no, they weren't having any input to the images mm, being used. No, it was more because the people that were in the photograph were never consulted to know if they were happy for me to use them. Right, yeah. And I keep thinking about it because those pictures went into the uh, front page of a national newspaper in the Dominican Republic. And I'm curious to know how this has affected them. Because mm. I've made a whole issue public, but I've made their faces public. And, uh, and I don't think it's a nice thing to do. I wouldn't like somebody to do that to me right, okay. without consulting me. So I always think about what I don't want people to do to me first. I don't, like, I don't let people use my pictures online if I don't like the way I am. So why would the other people would like to? We just have to start thinking about what we like first and then apply it to the rest of the mm. world. Because I think participatory photography, many people think it's... Many people don't know what it is. Mm. And I think the terminology is quite complex anyway. Maybe we should... It would be nice to find another word that is more accessible. But many think that it's just about giving cameras to people or giving you know, a video camera, a pen, anything that gives them a voice. But it could also be a photographer engaging with the people. It mm. doesn't have to be just the other way around. So I could be going into a project and spend a lot of time with the community and take the pictures and show them and agree on, you know, the style and the content and everything. And then that is, for me, that's also participatory. So it's more like kind of visual anthropology, isn't it? Or visual yeah. ethnography. Yeah. Which, yeah, is my background in a sense. Mm. Um, I guess I, I, I started to think like that when I saw all of those pictures, they used to do something called anthropometry. I don't know if you heard of it, which is also a horrible scientific name. <laughs> when, they, when they started to use photography in anthropology, they used to take portraits of different tribes, oh, like to kind prisoners. Of classify them. Yeah, yeah. You I know, profile and yeah. classify them. Yeah. And what a horrible thing to do to be honest. And, and when I saw that, I was like, oh, is that what am I doing? Taking pictures of people and just showing them, okay, this is a Dominican person. And so it made me think a lot about how we show people. Was it just a kind of personal dialogue or did you kind of come up against some criticism or did something happen when you were out in the field that made you 
aware or was it just kind of something you were thinking about yourself? No, it's something that I've been thinking about, especially when I, when I had those pictures published in this newspaper. Right. I realised something was wrong. And also because I didn't enjoy the process of being like a shark. You go and you look for the news and you take the picture and you send it and it's published and the first who gets it published gets the credit. And mm. So it's all about what is the most important. Is it the news? Is it, you know? I didn't like the process. It's very stressful. I, I, I really enjoy spending time with people. But it also disregards the consequences of having taken that photo and, exactly. yeah. and it being put into the public domain. Exactly. Once it's there, it's just forgotten about, isn't it? And also, mm. if you are documenting something and where there's a restriction in terms of, well, freedom of speech or, or something similar, then again, you're possibly condemning somebody to exactly, um, yeah. repercussions from the government or from local people. So, you know, without factoring that in yeah. and, and building your project around that, then you can walk away and there are consequences that you're just completely unaware of. Yeah, and I th yeah, I think it's... Um it changes your whole practice when you work like this. And it's, it's maybe the reason why I didn't really do any personal project for the last few years. Right. I think it kind of pushed me away from, from this. Because it, it requires a lot more patience and preparation and, and the consultative process, a lot of more time and energy. So hmm. I suppose if, if you know that that's who you are, you know that that's in front of you. Hmm. And you've got to be able to devote that time and energy to see it through to hmm. the end. Otherwise, you're going to make compromises and then you're not going to be happy with the, the process again or the final results. Yeah. But yeah, I think, I think that's one of the, the great things about participatory photography is that you know that at the end of it, you've got a body of work that represents the people that you've actually documented. Which is the, um, the aim. Yeah, and accurately so because they've had a voice, they've had an influence in what's been produced and what's going out there. And I, I think that's powerful because it, at least then it also widens the potential influence of that work because mm -hmm. you know that maybe that could be shown locally and mm -hmm. therefore create positive change locally. That it's not something that can be that has to be excluded from where that project has taken place because of potential repercussions on the individuals that are documented. Yeah, and I think it's a very good point where you said that you could influence positively the community because. Probably the reason why I didn't do any projects in, in the last few years is because I thought that there was no point of doing them apart from my own pleasure. Right. If I can't take it somewhere to change, you know, the situation or make somebody happy or whatever, I don't, I'm not really enjoying doing it. Right. I think that's why I did a lot of community participatory projects because I felt that I was actually helping mm -hmm. and changing people the way that this has changed me. So at least I'm not changing the world, but I can, I can, I can see the changes in people. Mm. Just by joining this type of project, there's something that triggers in them, mm. that changes them. Mm. And it gives hope. If not, it's just, you just do stuff and, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> um, do you think that there, are there any media like sort of outlets or do you think there might be in the future kind of like slow journalism? Um, for participatory for photography images because even though obviously you don't want to just like put those images out there and, and not think about the consequences some of the stories are really important hmm. and if you've had a participatory approach like you know where to put them then do you think there's places that you you could then publish them not yet no I think I think there are places like independent online newspapers mm -hmm. and um, different NGOs I think would take them I think there is a platform for it. 
But what I think is that because we're overwhelmed by pictures, it's hard to really catch people's attention. I have the feeling people are tired. I'm the first one to be tired of seeing images all the time. You know, and yeah, I think mm. that's that's one of the big problems. So for me, I'm always interested in trying to do something that is different photographically. Mm -hmm. I think the digital killed it all. How so? Because, because now, you know, like everybody keeps saying that the world is ending and horrible things are happening and there's more murder and more natural disasters and things like that. And I don't think it's the case. I think it's always been like this. But because there was no media before, we were not aware of it. And of course, there's more people living on the earth, so everything just multiplies itself. But we're just bombarded by things, and I think it's too much. There's no selection mm. and no... I don't know how to explain it. It's hard, like, you don't need to be a photographer anymore. Like, being a photographer now is not really recognized as much as it used to be. Because to be a photographer before, you needed to be damn good at it, mm. you know? It was a whole passion and you needed to know about light and processing and you know mm. you needed to understand the whole concept of it now anybody can just buy an expensive camera and call themselves a photographer which is good in some sense but it's bad for the real trained photographers mm. i think but they can't they can't necessarily call themselves a, a visual storyteller or you know an, an effective documentary photographer for example because that requires a lot more than than just buying an fancy yeah. camera and picking it up and it does but then it's how people respond to this because you know the financial crisis that could benefit them it, i mean it's very hard to get commissioned as a professional photographer to do mm. documentaries and I mean, like ngos used to employ a lot of photographers yeah. they're starting to do it again i think but um they get a lot of people that go into it for free so they're mm. going for cheapness over quality yeah sometimes i, yeah. I think they do but part of your um Part of your interest is to kind of like preserve or promote uh, traditional photography techniques, isn't it? Yes. And you're combining that with the participatory photography. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, I'm trying to, and oh. with my own practice. And can you tell us a bit about that? Like, what projects are you doing? Um, well, the projects we're doing at the moment, they're pure digital, but we used to have a dark room for like four years. Mm -hmm. um, so all the projects we did were taking a long time because people had to understand the whole concept of photography before being able to actually take a good picture, which was quite challenging, especially with young people. Yeah. But, but it works, cause, because they have to, you know, they feel so satisfied once they've done it. Mm. And I think one, I don't know, a good project that we've done. There's a project I did with Refugee Youth actually here. Uh, we did it like three years ago for the Refugee in Films, which is at the BFI every year. And the young people, they wrote a project about the refugee convention from the UN mm -hmm. that was written in 1951. So in 2011, it was celebrating 50 years. So they wanted to do something about this. And they thought about identity, migration, and who you become according to where you're born. So they've decided who they would be if they were born in 1951, in 1918, in 2011. Mm -hmm. And we did photography processes according to the year. So for 1951, we did Sinotype, which is a sunlight printing. Mm -hmm. and then in the 80s, um, when I did a photomontage digitally, but with the colors a bit more like in the 80s, mm -hmm. and then the 2011 one for now, as a way to show how things have changed yeah. in photography and in life. That's probably my favorite project, I mm. think. And we do a lot of um, 
I just did a project in schools for three months. We worked with 250 children, I think, and we used photography to teach mathematics, which worked very well. And we did pinholes and, and darkroom. You know, the children saw oh, there's a camera with no electricity and darkroom is a spaceship and it's magical. And, and yeah, you know, yeah. You know, there's a whole thing that they come up with and they all loved it. They all understood the concept and they all loved it. Mm. And I've been asked to give more. And it's just, you know, having something manual and hands-on mm. is very important because nowadays everybody's got iPhones and iPads and I don't have any of these and I refuse to because if not, what do we do with our hands, you know? Everything is digital and instant. And with uh, these community-based projects and within the schools, do the kids and, and members of the community continue on with the practices that they've learnt during the... Well, it, it depends on many things. It depends if the teachers support them to do that. Right. I think some of the teachers, they really loved it and they are teaching other teachers in the school to do that. Right. And I gave them a toolkit on you know, how to quickly build a darkroom just with black cloth and a portable red light and trays. You know, links of how to make a pinhole camera, where to buy the chemicals and stuff like that. Mm. And I'm doing one next week, which is a family learning activity for parents and children. And the aim is to teach them activities that they can do at home. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to do the cyanotype because it's very cheap and you can just do it in your garden. You just, you don't need many things. And part of this is to give them a toolkit. If they carry on or not, then, you know, some of them will, mm -hmm. definitely. But I'm not aiming at everybody to carry on anyway. No. But at least we trigger this creativity and, you know, think beyond what a picture is. Yeah which is very important. Mm. And some, some form of self-expression, uh, yeah. visual self-expression. Yeah. yeah, and at least, you know, like, like the, the, the new photographers now, sorry, I mean, I'm quite young, but when I started, there was no digital. Mm. So the new photographers now that haven't started, that haven't tried darkroom and 10 by eight and not format camera, they don't get it because they haven't done it. And they think that what they're doing is the only thing that can be done. But once you've done it, you're just addicted to it because there's something in it that just that digital doesn't do. Well, it's a more contemplative experience, really, isn't it? Yeah, and you can experiment so much with it. You know, you have to think so much when you take a picture. You've got, you know, if you use a medium format, you've got 12 pictures. And so how would you say that if you're exploring a particular story, how do you feel that participatory techniques can alter the, the narrative? What would change the message? Well, ultimately, not necessarily the message, but just the way that it's communicated. Because inevitably, if we if we go into Indonesia uh, with just you know a lonely planet level of understanding of Indonesia and, and its history and, and tribes and the likes, we're going to come out with images that are quite limited in scope and, and understanding and appreciation yeah. of of all that history and of the indigenous structures and uh, the community and the likes. Whereas with the consultative process, with participatory photography, mm -hmm. there's an opportunity to go in there and the narrative is molded by the people themselves. And um, so therefore, despite your ignorance as an outsider, because you've got that, that mm -hmm, input from mm -hmm. those people, then it's molded and, and what you're left with, what you, the outcome is a story. It's more in that depth, is, in real, is, yes. Yeah, more in depth, more accurate, more representative and 
and more complete as a result and it, it's not biased by any preconceptions or not biased by, by ignorance. Mm -hmm. um, it's more reflective of the reality on the ground. Yes, you agree with that? Great. <laughs> you well said. Okay. Good. Um, so am I supposed to answer to this? <laughs> um, well, yeah, well, just, just uh, if you agreed, which you do, which is great, or if, if there's something else you'd like to say, you know, No, no, that, I, I agree I think, with this. I think yeah. that's a very good definition of what participatory practice is. I suppose what's interesting is that as a documentary photographer, you often have an idea of the story that you want to tell, whereas in participatory photography, you have to go in not having a story, don't you? Mm. You have to be willing to let the story unfold, right? So even if you have an idea of something that you're trying to get across, you have to be very flexible because... Yeah. Yeah. And that's one of the issues that could happen sometimes, is when you do participatory photography as an organisation, you could be kind of forced to go in certain directions with certain projects, especially with advocacy projects, mm. where the funders would expect certain answers. Yeah. Or they would say, project has to be about, you know, they have a theme. So in, in that sense, you go there and you know what you're going to hear because there's a theme. Even though it's going to be open and everybody can, you know, have their views, it's still going to be, you know what I mean? Guided. Yeah. Guided. Yeah. So it depends what kind of project it is. Yeah. Have you ever run into problems when you've got sort of funding bodies that want something and it's not what's coming out of your project? I've never had that. No, okay. Because we don't approach funders that don't let us, that don't allow us to be very flexible. Yeah. So there's never a theme. Like we're doing a project now with um, asylum seekers and there's no theme. Everybody comes up with whatever they want to talk about. And we're doing one with young carers and... Um, this is supposed to be shown for carers week because young carers are not being given a voice enough mm. compared to adult carers. But yeah, it really depends who, you know, who, who pays for it and what agenda they have in mind. And that can happen or not. Mm. But you avoid sort of... Oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I can't, I can't do it. Unless if, if it's an advocacy project, I've, I've, you know, I actually love advocacy project when, when you can do a lot of lobbying, but only if the participants that signed up for the project know what they're signing up for. Mm -hmm. like the young carers, they knew they signed up to talk about being a young carer, to show an exhibition about young carers, so they're happy with it. And they're not expecting to become professional photographers out of the project, they know. And that's, that's key, to put you know, the, the starting point of the project very clear. And do you know of any examples from other photographers that have used participatory techniques effectively? On top of my head, I'm not quite sure, but there is one of the women who inspired me. It's called Wendy Ewald. You heard of her? She is from the US and she works a lot in schools and developed this, this methodology called literacy through photography, which is pretty, it's participatory photography to be honest, because I was trained in it and it's not much different. It's just that it's a little bit more focused on literacy. So the math project in school was inspired by this. And she used to set up dark rooms in the Andes and in the Amazon and in India in the 60s and, and use photography as a tool to teach how to read and write to children. Mm -hmm. I, I was completely fascinated by the way she's working and, uh, and she's still carrying on doing it now. And she, she kind of trained teachers in different schools on how to use images as a tool for education. Mm. And I think that's very participatory. Because yep. yeah. it gives, you know, it's like if you give a white piece of paper to somebody and ask them to write something, it's gonna be very hard. But actually, if you start by an image, 
it opens up discussions much mm. more. So yeah. that yeah, that is very successful for me. And how do you go about kind of finding the groups of people that you want to work with and gaining trust with the communities or the people that you want to do your projects with? Well, it depends. If it's a personal project as a photographer, I think the only project I've actually done like this is the one in the Dominican Republic that I've been going on back and forth for like 10 years. Starting a new project, I wouldn't do it if I don't know anybody local to start with. And if it's a community project, then we, in, we normally work with partners, so the relationship is established with the partners first for a long time before the project starts. And if we work with them, it's because we have the same way of thinking or the same methodology. So then it just matches itself when we meet the participants somehow. And do the participants generally, are they really kind of welcoming to you coming in and doing photography with them? Well, the, for the project that we've done so far, Yes, because it was organised by organisations who recruit the people and people signed up for it. Mm -hmm. So I've never really done projects where people were forced to do something or where we were not invited to. That's why I guess I haven't done a personal project in a long time. Because I've, I've been dreaming since I was, I don't know, 10 to do a documentary about indigenous people in the Amazon. And I still haven't done it. And I might never do it in my life. Because I, I just don't feel I can do it unless... I, you know, I go there and start to meet people and then see that there's an interest in it. But I, I wouldn't just like to go and, you know, when I was 15, I was a dreamer. So I was like, oh, yeah, I'm just going to go there and do that like a colonizer. Actually, you know, I'm like, mm, you know, where would I start? Mm. <laughs> <laughs> you know, are they, are they interested in it or not? I mean, I think it's a lot of time. It's all about consultation again or working with the organization that do the consultation for you. Yeah. Which is better. So beyond that, just kind of figuring out, first of all, if there's a need, if there's a real, yeah. if, if the people themselves are going to benefit from it, and also possibly finding partner organisation, a local partner organisation to work with. What other recommendations would you give photographers who might want to explore a participatory project? Um, I think, I mean, there's many, there's many things to take into consideration is, you know, where is the community base? Is it something that is very out of reach? and that they've never had contact with, you know, foreigner people, or how do they react to photography? Because some, you know, some cultures, they don't, they don't want to be photographed. Mm -hmm. and, um, and working with partners is very hard to find the right ones who don't have an agenda, or, you know, everybody wants something out of it. So compromising could be a good, you know, a good deal, mm. I think. And yeah, having somebody local that can open all the doors, a fixer, how they as they call it, mm -hmm. you know, that speaks the language and that knows, okay, don't do that, don't go there, do that, you know, don't take this type of pictures or... And making sure that person has also not got an agenda. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> that he's not a spy or, you know, it's, it's <laughs> yeah. very complicated. Yeah, I mean, yeah. It's, uh, yeah, I mean, I, you know, I went once in the, the Western Sahara, a bit naive, and... Um, we were with local peoples, but they, yeah, they had their own agenda and they wouldn't stop where we wanted us to stop. And I don't know, it was a bit mm. complicated. Mm. But then I suppose that's inevitable in locations where they're conscious of the fact that the world isn't listening mm. and they want them to listen mm. and they, they see the photographer as an opportunity. And then, you know, ultimately they want to ensure that the message that gets out is the one that they want mm. to... Mm. Um, to have get out. Yeah, I mean, to be honest, the, 
I think the be the best practice one could do is just to let lo is just to go and train local photographers and let them do the rest. That's that's what I wanted to do at the beginning. Just go and train local people and give them the tools, and then they carry on. Because even if we use participatory methodology, we're still not from there. No. You know, and I don't and I. I don't know how... So that's for projects that are outside of the UK? Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. Not, not just outside of the UK. It's like, I'm not, I'm not British, I'm French, I don't belong anywhere here. So when I, when I go and do a project in, you know, I'm doing this project in Harry at the moment, and I'm not from there. I don't, yeah, I I don't know how yeah. it is to live there. Yeah. Every, every, every community is different yeah. from one street to the other. But what, about, what about once you've empowered them? wherever this may be and, and whoever it may be, giving them the opportunity to kind of express themselves through photography. What then? Surely there needs to be a platform upon which they can then present that work and, yeah. and get it outside of the community. Yeah, which yeah. is the from, hardest from thing to do, yeah. mm. actually. Because it is, a, it is a process. It doesn't really stop once you've achieved that empowerment and, and you know, had that consultation. That work needs to get out into the public domain beyond yeah. that community. Uh, be it London or Indonesia or Brazil, it needs to get out and yeah. for it to have impact and mm -hmm. for for that to, for their voice to be heard. Yeah, and that's the hardest thing to do. Doing a consultation through participatory photography, it's very, it's not that it's very easy, but if you know what you're doing, you know, you don't need much to do it. But actually taking that message across to the right people so you could influence the situation. Mm. Like the consultation is just the starting point. Yeah. Where can people find your work and uh, find out about photosynthesis? Um, my work, well, I just did my website, ingridguyan.com. Uh, photosynthesis work, uh, we have a website which is not really updated, but it will soon. But uh, the Facebook page has got loads of information about the project we do. There's been some information, uh, publications, and then information about participatory photography. There's plenty, to be honest. Yeah. I don't think there's one platform. I mean, there's a LinkedIn group about participatory photography where a lot of practitioners or interested people have conversations about techniques and methodology and ethics and mm. things. Photo Voice has a lot about the ethics and they have a manual okay, great. as well. Inside Chair, they do participatory video. Okay. I just use Google, to be honest. There's <laughs> millions of research in different yeah. universities yeah. all around the world that write about it, and it's very interesting to read them, mm. yeah. I think. Okay. Great. Great. Well, thank you very Thanks much. Thanks so much. Cheers. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks to you. <laughs> Thanks for listening to the Documentary Photography Review podcast, and we hope you've enjoyed our conversation with Ingrid Guyon. You can find out more about Ingrid's work through her website at ingridguyon.com and about photosynthesis at photosynthesiscommunity.org.uk or find them on Facebook. And photosynthesis is spelled F-O-T-O synthesis. As always, links to photographers, exhibitions and organisations mentioned in the podcast are listed in the show notes available at documentaryphotoreview.com forward slash podcasts and then navigate to Ingrid's interview. If you are a documentary photographer and would like to have your work featured on the Documentary Photography Review website, then get in touch via email on chris at documentaryphotoreview.com or you can submit via the website. The website showcases any project from anywhere in the world as long as the images are of a documentary nature. For more information, go to documentaryphotoreview.com. 
If you enjoyed this interview or any others in the series so far, then please do rate or leave a comment or review via iTunes. This will help us be seen and heard by more people, spreading the word about this series, but also about the important work of the photographers we interview. You can also subscribe via iTunes to make sure you don't miss out on these fortnightly podcasts. Thanks again for listening and take care. Thank you.